Bridge to Lead, episode 148. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Brendan Kamarasamy. Brendan is the founder of Master Talk, where he coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become the top 1% communicators in their industry. Brendan is also host of the popular YouTube channel called Master Talk, with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Harlan. It's good to be on. Yeah, it's great to be in. So I I talked to you before the podcast, um, and I told you I've binge-watched a lot of your uh, YouTube channel, stuff like that. How long have you been uh, creating content on YouTube? Yeah, absolutely, man. First of all, I appreciate the kind words. So it's always nice that, that you took the time. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I started the YouTube channel three years ago, and I started coaching probably six or seven years ago. Nice. And it's all about communication. You got it. It's all about public speaking communication. Yeah. Well, and we'll get into it because to me, leadership and communication go hand in hand. If you can't communicate your vision, mission, purpose, a compelling vision, mission, purpose, you're not really a leader. It's hard to be a leader without being a good communicator. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how you got your start, why communication is so important to you and uh, how you help people. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask all my guests. Um, listeners will know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood um, stars from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Brendan, if you are ready, I've got 10 questions for you. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is insanity. <laughs> There's a story there, I can tell. All right, what is your least favorite word? My least favorite word is lazy. Nice. What turns you on? (laughs) Uh, I mean, a lot of things, but if I had to say one thing, probably vision. Nice. Uh, What turns you off? (laughs) <laughs> laziness okay. um question five what sound or noise do you love my mother's cooking the sound of cooking the noises yes. in the kitchen yeah. yeah the noises in the kitchen yeah. perfect all right question six what sound or noise do you hate I would say breathing too heavily. Like when somebody goes <sighs> like this. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept that. That's fine. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, definitely the F word. Okay. That does seem to be the most popular. I think if I, if I ever put together a compilation, that's going to be like 90%. If you read like a research report. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's just so, I don't know, useful. All right, question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? 
that's tough. I'll probably sing coaching my whole life, but if I had to do something else, mm, I thought about being a stand-up comedian when I was 12. That's there probably the, the area I would go into. Nice. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Something that's very labor-intensive. So like construction worker, that'd be really hard for me. I wouldn't last really long. Okay. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> uh, there's, you know, when you said that question, it reminded me of this, of this man named Ed Milet, and I'm going to steal from him a little bit. He says that his mission in life is when he meets God, provided he exists or she exists or it exists in, in heaven, that the man that he was supposed to be in this world is exactly the same man that is standing in front of him. So I would say that's probably some, some form of that, some form of that. where nice. the potential was maxed out. Excellent. Very cool. All right. Good answers. All right. We're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, talk about communication, why it is so important, why you're so passionate about it, um, how you help people in your coaching. And at some point we'll talk about courage and leadership, right? Sounds good. All right, listeners, we're going to talk about that and a lot more. So stick around. We'll be back right after this. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And now back with my guest, Brendan Kamarasamy. Good to meet you or good to uh, connect with you again. We connected before and talked a little bit briefly and stuff. Like I said, I've found your um, your YouTube channel. I've watched a lot of the, the things you have out there and stuff. Really impressed with the uh, the content that you're putting out. And it's all free. You're giving so much content away to people to help them become better communicators. Why are you so passionate about communication? Where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, absolutely, Harlan. Always appreciate your kind words, brother. So yeah, for, for me, it started in university. I went to business school and I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports but for nerds. So okay. other guys my age are playing like basketball or like rugby or like soccer, things I'm clearly not well equipped to do from a physical perspective. I, I did the nerd version of that, which was presentation. So I, I competed at a national level in com competitions. I trained a lot of people at the international level as well. So I know this sounds bizarre, but there's people or students who fly out across the world just to give PowerPoint presentations. That was my life. Really? Yeah, it's really bizarre. Between the ages of 19 and 22, the reason these things existed was because a lot of these executives at IBM, at Deloitte, at McKinsey, a lot of these big companies would come and sponsor these things to take the best talent back into their companies. Okay. So as I got older, Harlan, I accidentally developed a skill in communication coaching. And the reason I'm emphasizing the word accident is because it was never my intention. A lot of these students were growing up in these programs and we didn't have a communication coach and I was winning a lot of these things and losing a lot of them, by the way. But I was great at speaking. So I was teaching them how to do it. 
And that's what led to Master Talk because I realized that everything in my head wasn't available for free on the internet. So I started making YouTube videos while working a corporate job and then the rest was history. Wow. And well, I was reading on your LinkedIn profile too, you're talking about going to a French school and having to get presentations, but you didn't really speak French. That added a layer of complexity to it. Oh yeah, most definitely. So for at the beginning of my life, to your point, Harlan, I was born and raised in a city called Montreal. And for those who don't know in Montreal, it's a city where you need to know how to speak both French and English to do well. And I knew English really well, but my parents looked at me and they said, Brenda, you got to learn French. We're going to send you to French school. So my whole life, not only did I struggle with communication, like most of us do, I presented in a language I didn't even know. So I'd look at my first grade, second class classroom and just go, uh, bonjour. And that was my whole life. And you think that was worse? Even when I got to university, I still didn't know what I was doing. And frankly, a lot of people don't know this. My accounting, I'm sorry, my degree in university was in accounting. So I'm literally the, the most opposite person that could ever be a communication expert. And yet here I am today sitting in front of you. Wow. So you go to these competitions, you won quite a few of them, and then people started coming to you and saying, hey, can you help us? Or was it the, was there an instructor like lead that came to you and said, help the team? You know, it's funny, Harlan, no one's ever asked me that follow-up question. So I really appreciate you asking me. So essentially what happened is at the school that I was at, Harlan, weirdly enough, we had the world's largest case competition program. Okay. Which I didn't know, but when I, I studied, it was, it's, I mean, Concordia is right next to my house. That's why I went to the school. It wasn't like a, like a rocket science. So there's 79 people in this program every year. And they interview like two, 300 people and they take 79. So it's like a sports team. You get drafted to a sports team presentation. So what happened is how I got asked was I was one of the leaders of this program. So after the first year of me competing and me doing well at these competitions, I, I went, I still was competing the whole career, but I transitioned more and more into a mentorship role, an advisor role, so I, we can coach the people who are newer. Kind of like when, uh, when a basketball player retires from the NBA and then they go and become a coach later on mm -hmm. for a new team. So think of it like this. It's just in a sport no one really cares about because it's presentation. <laughs> So I, I, it wasn't really that somebody asked me to do it. I kind of more uh, self-appointed myself to do it because a lot of people were asking me to your point, but I was doing it for free. It wasn't for money. It was more just the students. And I was just like, yeah, sure. I want you guys to win. So let's work on this together. But you're talking about it like a, a sports team. And really there were um, agents, right? Out there looking for people to come and join, like I said, right? McKinsey and, and all these companies. They're actually <laughs> looking for people, right? Correct. Most of the people who, who coach us, like, for example, when I joined the pro, I was only 19 years old, right? So nineteen twenty. that's when I started communication and coaching other people as well. And a lot of the coaches who help us with our competition outside of communication, which is mostly me, mm -hmm. were senior executives of companies who used to be in the program. So 10 years ago, let's say, when some kid was 20, they did this program 10 years ago, but because they're super talented, they became vice presidents in their companies before they were mm -hmm. like 30. So then they went back and gave back to us. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And so after that, and you're working with people and stuff like that, did you get picked up by one of these big companies? I did. I worked at IBM for a few years. In the accounting? No. I mean, you, you were an accountant. How did you get over to IBM? What were you doing for IBM? <laughs> so basically what happened was my my job my thought initially was going to be an accountant. So I worked at Price Waterhouse Coopers, which mm -hmm. for those who don't know is like a big accounting firm. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, funny enough, that's how clueless I was about the business world. I thought Price Waterhouse was just a water bottling company. It's a lot <laughs> back then. I was like water, and so go. so I got so I got a job there, and then I realized that accounting is great, but it really wasn't for me. And because of the case competition experiences, I learned that the number one job out of people who did this program was management consulting. So okay. McKinsey, Bain, yeah. BCG, a lot of these consulting nice. firms. So that's when I decided to pivot careers. And it was because of those case competitions and a lot of different extracurriculars that somehow uh, I, I kind of uh, tricked IBM into giving me a job. So I guess that worked out well. Nice. Very cool. And so you say you're working with um, people now to help them, business owners, entrepreneurs, to become in the top 1% of communicators. What? Why is that important? I mean, talk, touched on it briefly right at the beginning. Why is communication so important for somebody in a leadership role? Absolutely, brother. So communication for me is so much more than giving a presentation in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. It's so much more than presenting in front of an em- employees that you might manage. It's every interaction that we have with every human being in our lives. It's, it's not just about increasing our bottom line, increasing our impact, but increasing our likelihood of leading a fulfilling life. So for me, where I always start with, because we all have our own reasons. The entrepreneur wants to get better at communication, to increase their sales, to motivate their staff, to sell more product, to interview better, to give better feedback to their teams. The executive wants to get their next promotion. We're all different. So the way that I think about this is a question. And the question is this, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? So many of us, we focus so much on the stress, the negative negativity, the anxiety around communication, but very few of us focus on, wait a second, I can dream about the big house I want to buy, but I'm not spending enough time dreaming about, wait a second, if I was a great communicator, how would my life be different? Yeah. Well, and, and you're right. A lot of people think when you're up in front of people and you're talking that you're communicating, right? But it's not that simple, right? There's not only the words you choose, the inflection of the words that you choose, the body language, your your presence, all of that stuff communicates on some way or another. A simple glance, a simple you know nod of the head can get a, a, a feeling across to people. When you work with people, do you work on all of that, the, the body language and everything? Absolutely. An easy way to explain that, Harlan, is, is an exercise called works, Words, Music, Dance. So words, okay. music, dance is always about asking yourself, what percentage of what we're communicating is words? What percentage is music? So music is vocal tone variety and pacing and dance is body language. And so much of so much of our time is focused on the words that we're using when we're not spending enough time on the music and the dance, which is the okay. delivery of that message. And this is the key is everyone listening to this podcast is really smart. And the reason I know that is because they're listening to a podcast. They're spending that time. So for everyone who's listening to the show, Harlan, the focus is definitely not content. They know what they want to say. They have the right idea. It's about packaging those ideas in a way where people want to listen to them and take action on them more specifically. Nice. Yeah, my wife, um, she always says that communication is an away game. It's not what you say. It's what the people hear. Right. So if you say something and the person on the other end misunderstands, it's not their fault. It's your fault for not understanding what their language is, what terms they use and everything like that. You want to try to direct your comments to an audience 
and, and use the same language they're used to hearing, right? I have words in my head. I have certain connotations assigned to those words. You may have totally different connotations to the word, right? If I say something, you may hear it, but it's slightly different. If I say a, a sports car, I have an image of a sports car in my head. You have a totally different image. Even if I said a red sports car, yours is different. If I said a red Ferrari, the images are still different because there's there's images the that I have. And yeah, you know, it's 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 odd. So yeah, just getting up in front of people and talking is definitely not uh, the end of communication. In your YouTube channel, I love how you do those, you know, the communication is like, or three things I learned about communication on a train, three things I learned about communication in this. Where do you come up with those? How do you come up with those? Absolutely, man. And I loved your analogy there. The one that you shared around the image in the head, that is so good. I have to take that from you and give you credit. And Please, give no, credit, take it. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, give her credit. That's so good. I felt yeah. that that's such a simple way to demonstrate how just because you communicate a single idea doesn't mean it's heard in the same way by every single person in the room. Exactly. And my wife and I were both organizational change management consultants. So working for some of the companies you talked about, right, Pricewaterhouse and, and some of these companies, we'd go in and help them uh, working with a company that was undergoing some major change. Well, we would get in there and help the executives communicate that change. And if they say, hey, this is going to be better, okay, they're thinking in their mind better for the company. The people on the receiving end are thinking better for them. How? How is this better than what I have right now, right? So we had to make sure that we under we had a, a what we called a crosswalk. Here's the terms you currently use. Here are the terms you're going to use in this new environment. Make sure everybody's on the same page. So when we talk about these things, everybody's, you know, understanding and, uh, so yeah, the, the way you're saying earlier about, you know, you speak English and you're learning French and having to get presentations. And I saw one of the videos where you jumped back and forth between French and English to get a presentation. Um, that's just lay, adds a layer of complexity to it. So, wow. Uh, thanks, brother. You're, you're awfully kind. No, and I love that. And the, the question you had around the three lessons or how did I come up with that? Yeah. There's no like a uh, clear formula to this, to be honest. I think it's more of how far are we willing to go for our ideas? What risks are we willing to take? Uh, I'll give you an example of someone I'm really inspired by. Seth Godin is a big mm -hmm. inspiration for me through his work with like books that he titles Purple Cow and Tribes and Lynchpin. He's like the ant ant right. antithesis See, I got the words right. Of, yep. uh, of what the industry is. So most people are like, okay, do this. And he's like, yeah, do the opposite. He's like, do this. Yeah, actually, can you go up instead? You're like, wait, what's happening? So what I like about Seth Godin is his willingness to take risks. Whether he's right or wrong, he's willing to try the new idea, the new concept. And the crazy part about Seth is he's still willing to do this now. Even right now, he's worth tens of millions of dollars, multiple technology exit. The guy's probably like 63, 64 years old or yep. something. And he's still posting every week on his podcast. And he's still posting blogs daily. And he hasn't missed since he started like before the dawn of the internet or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably got a team, to be fair. He's probably got a team helping him. Yeah. Probably. But no, I just, I like, I like the... The videos, like saw the, the one about the train, right? So three things I learned about communication on the train. And I just, I mean, the way that you presented those, it, it, it brings it home. You know, it's not some lofty thing. It's like, no, this is actionable. 
uh, information tools you can use right now. And I love that. And I mean, just all the videos you've got out here, like I said, everything is, is pretty free. And that was intentional, right? This is not like your uh, get rich quick thing. This is, I want to help people be better communicators. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And, and you know, going back to the risk taking, I, I modeled my career after a lot of what, you know, Seth inspired me to do to create videos like this. And, and to your point, you know, you're right. The intention was never to make money, but I'm not some altruistic, you know, saint either. The reason I could afford to do that is because as you know, because I was in change management as well at IBM, very similar as I was doing similar work to you. So, you know, we get paid well. It's not like we're, we're making minimum wage in, in change management. So, so I was doing really well financially. That's why I could afford to, to do all those videos for free. But you're right, the mission, I never, it accidentally turned into a business. Yeah, now it's a business. Now it does well. Now I don't have to, right. and I do this full time. But back then when I first started it, the intention, which it still is to this day, is how do I make sure that 99.999% of all of the information I have in my head becomes free for the general public so that when I'm gone and, and my time is up here, whether I got 50 years or 100 years or whatever the time's left, that people can still learn from me long after I'm gone like they do with Dale Carnegie. Yeah, very nice. So when you're working with these people, helping them be better communicators, what are they missing or what is, what is holding them back from being in that top 1%? Absolutely. So there's three pieces to this motivation, direction, and technique. So let's go into each one. Okay. So the first one is motivation. Right? If we don't have a clear reason why we want to be become be, be better communicators, and we don't spend the time reflecting on that, nothing else is going to happen. And this is especially true with communication, Harlan. The reason is because the goals are a lot more vague. What do I mean by this? If we want to lose weight, which I probably shouldn't do because I'm already skinny as it is, but let's say, <laughs> let's say I was losing 10 pounds. Let's say that was a goal in the next two weeks. That's specific. It's 10 pounds in two weeks. So I'll know in two weeks, do I hit the goal or not? Money goals. Okay, let's say I want to make 20 grand next month. Okay, mm -hmm. this is the number. I have 30 days to do it. So it's very specific. But what does being a great communicator even mean? Right. I don't know. Like, different things mean, to different people, right? Right. Different things yeah. to different people. Is it ums and ahs? Is it jumping up and down? Like, we don't really know. So instead, be, because the, the incentive system isn't as strong, we need to push ourselves even more. We need to say, yeah. okay, let, so let's say I was coaching you. It's like, okay, you're already an exceptional communicator. But if you want to grow this podcast 10 times more, we got to level up even more. Even it's hard to do because you're already great. But, you know, like, as an <laughs> example, right? Right. So when we fall in love with that bigger dream, we go, you know what? I have to keep sharpening my skills. So that's the, the first piece. So for me, a lot of my motivation is I'm still not the best in the world at what I do because I'm still fairly young. I'm just getting started. I mean, not getting started. I mean, I've been in the business now for six, seven years. But right. I mean, I still got 40, 50 years more to go, more knowledge, more things. And if I don't learn all of this, I can't democratize all of it. I can't make it accessible. So that's a big mission. So I keep pushing myself. That's the first piece. And then the second piece is direction. Okay. So direction is going back to what we talked about. It's hard for us to set communication goals. And more specifically, what I'd add is a lot of us don't really think about them. We think about health goals, uh, financial goals, career goals, personal goals, relationship goals. Mm -hmm. Very few people have communication goals. Or if they do, they're not generally very specific. Speak more clearly. Get up on a stage. Communicate more, et cetera. 
So what I recommend to do to have more specific communication goals is start focusing on speakers that you really admire and pick one speaker to get us started. Obviously my friends are a bit more complicated. Let's keep it simple today. Once one speaker you really admire, but this time what I want you to do is don't listen for the content. Listen for the one quality that you want from that speaker. I'll give you an example. One of the big things I admire so much about Gary Vaynerchuk is that he's world-class at a skill I call relatability. He's able to relate to the six-year-old kid who's listening to his TikToks as much as the 70-year-old man who's a super senior executive at a company. And he's able to communicate to both of those people at the same exact time in a way where both of them get the message. And I find that super fascinating. So I'm always studying him. So those are just a couple. Of, and the third one's techniques, right? Implement the tactics and do the exercises. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So that's two. What is the third piece? Absolutely. So the third piece is technique. Technique. Going back to motivation, second one is direction, the third one is technique. So technique just means how do we communicate and practice it in a way that improves us drastically. So let's start with a couple of examples. I'll give you the three easiest exercises that people can do. So the first one is the random word exercise. All you have to do is you pick a random word, and I, I'm sure you know this because you know my content better than I do at this point, <laughs> is you pick a random word like pen or pistachios and you give random presentations out of thin air. And what this does is it improves your ability to communicate ideas that you're actually well prepared for. So if you know how to communicate something with no expertise, you right. can communicate anything with expertise. That's the first one. Okay. The second exercise is called the question drill. So the question drill is really simple. Have we ever been in a situation where we get asked a question that we don't really know the answer to? So I'm on this podcast with Harley, and then you ask me a question. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And I have to think about that one. And you asked me a lot of good ones today that I've ever been asked before. So I have to really think on my feet. So how do we create a situation where we're comfortable tackling as many questions as possible in the boardroom, at work, in our business with prospects, et cetera? So what you want to do is you want to focus on an outcome that you want. Let's say make a sale. Let's use that as an example in the business. Think of every question a prospect could ever ask you and answer one question every morning. And if you do that every day, you'll eventually have an answer for anything and everything. So that's exercise number two. And then finally, exercise number three is practice your presentations like a jigsaw puzzle. So here's my million dollar question for you, Hartland, which is super All easy. Right. Let's say you're, you're building a jigsaw puzzle, you know, those toy puzzles mm -hmm. as kids. So if you're doing a puzzle with your nieces, your nephew, your family or something, which pieces would you start with first and why? I always start with the outline, the framework of the picture. Absolutely. And why? Because they're easier to spot. They're easier to spot those flat lines. So, you know, they go around the edge. There you go. Exactly. You won the million dollar question. Unfortunately, I don't have a million dollars to give you, but there you go. <laughs> That's right. It's in the mail. The check is in the mail. <laughs> you got it. Excellent. Right. So to your point, the pieces are easier to find. It's easier to do the outline you've worked through in the middle. But the question you to ask yourself is why don't we apply that analogy to communication? Because a lot of the times when we practice a speech, we do the opposite. We start with the middle pieces first. We shove a bunch of content. It's confusing because we have to try and put the pictures like, oh, we don't have the edges. And then we get to the presentation, we ramble throughout the full thing. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, 
of, of uh, thanks, not the right approach. So instead, yep. practice communication like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first. Do the introduction 50 times, not two times, not three. Do it 50 times so it's perfect. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Same right. thing, 50 times the close, then tackle the middle. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, framing it that way. We used to um, work with the younger consultants in our, our groups and stuff. We always uh, taught them bluff, B-L-U-F, bottom line up front. That old saying about tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you told them, right? A lot of times you get into, especially in executive uh, meetings, you're giving a presentation, you get to the end of the uh, presentation and say, and that's why we need an extra million dollars for this project. And everybody goes, what? I had no idea we were here for you to ask for money. I thought you were going to show us, you know, the color of the new room or something like that. Totally off base. If you go in and say, we need an extra million dollars for this project. And here's why. And then you step them through. Now their mind is kind of programmed to listen to everything you're going to tell them. And at the end say, and that's why we need this money. And you're kind of supporting it and stuff. So it's kind of like framing it, like you're saying, but I, I love the practice. People are afraid to get up and talk because they're afraid they're going to stumble on their words. They're afraid they're going to uh, forget something, right? Freeze up like I just did a little while ago. It happens to everybody. But if you practice and practice and practice, it becomes second nature to you. Practice the opening, practice the closing. The middle can kind of morph depending on, you know, if you're reading your audience, seeing what piques their interest, maybe you stay on that topic a little longer than normal. That can, can you know, flex a little bit. Hard opening, hard closing, practice those. I think that's, that's perfect. Oh, thank you, brother. Okay. Good stuff. So out of all the videos that you've done, do you have a favorite? Tough to pick, right? How do you pick between your children, right? Even if I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> scroll I through. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Scroll though. through all your children and pick one. Yeah. Yeah. If if I had to pick one, it would probably be my most popular one. And the reason is because three daily public speaking exercises. Not really for the content. The content was good. I think it was more just it proved to me that I could do this full time. Because before that video popped, I really didn't think Master Talk would amount to much. And I always say this to people who have new ideas and concepts, is we're always most fragile at the beginning of one's idea. So the first three to six months of Master, to paint the picture for people, Harlan, yeah. I was a 22-year-old kid in my mother's basement. I had a phone, no money for production. And I was making YouTube videos on executive communication tips, even if there were PhDs of communication making videos. And I was using a phone. And I was an accounting major. Okay, this makes perfect sense. Really nice. So yeah, I, I thought it was a dumb idea. And by the way, a lot of people did too, specifically university professors. So I had this brilliant idea to send videos to them because I was thinking, wait a second, we don't have these resources at university. If I just send them, and there's no pitch. I don't have a business, right? I'm like two right, months right. If I just go, hey, sir, uh, miss, uh, you know, whatever, uh, John, can you, if you could share these videos with their students, it could help them. And they all spat in my face. And I was just like, wow, I guess, I guess people don't really like me or my content. But when that video popped, I, I knew I had something. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, there's so much good content. And I just, uh, I'm fascinated that you would give all of this away because this could be a huge program. I mean, you could have a boot camp going with this information. 
it's that good. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'd love to speak into that because I think that's okay. so important. Is you're right. All, all of the content, and actually, let me elaborate on this more because I'm super passionate about this. Is you're a lot of the people in my space do charge a lot of money for that. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do, and I don't blame them, by the way, is because communication coaching is a very lucrative business. Mm-hmm. It's very lucrative because if you, if you can fix a CEO's communication skills, that's worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to them over the course of their careers. And by the way, I'm not saying I don't charge those rates either, but I think my philosophy. As, as my life evolved, the only reason I became the person I am today, Harlan, is because of the sh- of the giants that came before us, mm-hmm. right? The Lewis, like when I was 20 years old and Lewis Howes was getting started this podcast, The School of Greatness, I was one of his first listeners and I didn't have any money back then. I was a broke student. I couldn't afford a coaching program. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. But if it wasn't for guys like him or people like Tony or, you know, anyone, or even, mm-hmm. you know, the work that you're doing, if, if, people didn't do that, I would not be the person I am today because I couldn't afford these types of yeah. things. So when I when I started becoming successful, a lot of people in their 20s, they think a lot about themselves. And I was an exception to the rule. It definitely wasn't. But I, I thought about the bigger picture. I read this book called Thirst by Scott Harrison. And there was this amazing quote in the book. And the quote was, the goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. And I heard that quote and I just said, what's the purpose of my life? I'm going to be an executive at this big company by the time I'm 30. I'm going to make half a million dollars a year. I'm going to be really successful in life. But is that the whole point to my life? And then I thought about the seven-year-old girl who couldn't afford a communication coach who was really successful. Like think of the 10-year-old, this is what I'm super passionate about. Think about the 10-year-old girl right now who is the next Elon Musk, but nobody knows who she is. Nobody cares who she is because she hasn't had her first exit. She hasn't had her big success. When Elon was 15, nobody gave a shit about Elon. And for me, like, I'm so passionate about those kids because I'm like, this is the future of humanity. Why aren't we betting on these people? And I just made a philosophical decision to say the point of my life is not just to make a bunch of money. The point of my life is to hold their hands, even if I have no idea who they are, where they are, that so they they can learn from me forever. And that's really the legacy piece to it. I'm doing. That's awesome. And the thing I like about it is, you know, everybody says, hey, you know, when you light somebody else's candle from yours, it doesn't diminish the light of your candle. And, and you're demonstrating that, you know, you have all this knowledge, you're sharing it with people to help them be better. It doesn't take away from you. It helps improve everybody. That's Absolutely, awesome. Brother. Like I won this game a long time ago. <laughs> Just the fact that I'm born in Canada I was making what, like 60, 70 grand at IBM. I was living with my mom, my sister. I didn't have any material desires. I want, like life is great. My mom's retired. And I just said, like, I don't need more of this. I need to play a bigger game. I need help more people. So it's, so yeah, it's been a fun journey. Very good job. So getting back to one of the questions and I I took you off track. It wasn't you, I took you off track. No, it's super fun. (laughs) Oh no, it's great. When you're working with these people, what are they missing or what is holding them back from becoming great communicators? Is it mindset? Yeah, I would say the biggest piece, and I always thought it was a different answer, but I ended up being wrong. I initially thought it was mindset because everyone keeps telling us it's mindset. Mm-hmm. It actually isn't mindset. As long as some of it's there, as long as they have some desire to get better, if they have no desire to get better at communication, then it's not going to work. But if they have a small desire, what I found is momentum is actually the key piece, not mindset. So it's more around 
if I can prove to them that they can get better at one small aspect of communication, the mindset piece is fixed like in a week. I'll, I'll give an example specifically. Let's take the random word exercise. Every time I force somebody to do it, I already know 95% of people listening won't do it. So I encourage you to be, you know, the 5% that does is the first time somebody does it, let's say like a program or something, they go, oh my God, I can't do it. And I just go do it right now. And then they just did it. And everyone's clapping. I was like, I I thought you said you couldn't do it. And they're like, oh, you're you're right. I can't do it. I said, do it five more times. Like, I can't do this five more times. Like, yeah, go ahead. Avocado, iguana, like, and then they do it again. (laughs) And then I go, how about you do this a hundred times? How would your life change? And then I asked them a question that I'd love to ask your listeners. And the question is, what percentage of your industry is willing to do the random word exercise a hundred times in their life? Not every day, not every week, not every month, not every year, but in their entire life. And most people answer 0%, they answer 1%, they answer 2%. And then I go, okay, so are you willing to give me a hundred minutes? Not a hundred minutes of your week. Now you're a busy person. The person who's listening to this is really busy. Not a hundred minutes out of your month. I wouldn't even dare. It's a lot of time. It's an hour and 40 minutes out of your month. Oh my God. Yeah. Not even out of your year. Can you give me a hundred minutes out of your life to be in the top 1%? And that's really the key. And when somebody does this a hundred times, their whole life changes because they, they do it in communication anyways. Not their whole life changes, but you get it. In the context of the, oh my God. Like Jesus. But it is life changing. When you take somebody who is afraid to get up and speak their mind, afraid to get up and share who they are, and you can help them overcome that, it is life-changing. It is life-changing. I was in Toastmasters for years, and you're familiar with Toastmasters. A lot of people are familiar with Toastmasters. That's one thing that, that we used to do was what they call table topics, Right. You'd volunteer, you'd get up, draw from the the hat or the the bucket or whatever. And here's a little strip of paper that has either a word on it or a phrase. Talk on that for two minutes. And just extemporaneously, just off the top of your head, talk on this subject for two minutes. It really got you to open up your mind a little bit about how to draw that in. Make up a story if you need to, you know, but try to get that across. Because in business, you aren't always given a week to prepare come in and talk to the, the executive board. Sometimes it's, oh, your boss is out of the office. I need you to in here right now. Come and talk about this. And you've got to walk in there and talk. You have to know the subject. You have to know enough of it to, to go, but you have to be comfortable to get up there and kind of tap dance your way around it. And that's <laughs> tough, right? And we used to have, have to do that all the time. Somebody would walk by and say, hey, can you come in and talk about X? Like, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I understood the words. I didn't understand that sentence you just said. What do you mean come in and talk about this? I don't even know what that is. You have to be able to go in there and stand up in front of people, look composed, get your point across. And the exercises you have to kind of frame that to where these are the three main points I want them to walk out of here with. So talk about this, talk about this, talk about this, then summit. You know, I think, I think it is life-changing for people. Mm. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I completely agree, man. It it really does change your life in a way that you might not even know because you're thinking about it and you're communicating. But once you start getting the hang of it, like the random word exercise, you start to see those indirect benefits. Oh, like I'm not scared to talk to the coffee person when I'm getting my coffee at uh, the store in the morning or when I'm traveling and I'm afraid to ask somebody for directions. I'm not really scared anymore. So it changes our life in a lot of indirect ways. Absolutely. Very cool. Good stuff. So 
talking about courage, standing up in front of people and talking is at the top of everybody's list of things that scare them the most, right? There's fear of the dark, fear of spiders, fear of death, and then public speaking is way, way up here. Um, how did you find the courage to overcome that fear? Absolutely. And there's a couple of thoughts that I have on this, Harlan. I would say at the beginning, what I would say is the fear of communication, I feel, is overrated. I know that's a strong word, but I'll explain what I mean by that. A lot of people think the fear of communication is something that we're all innately born with as human beings, as if it's like etched into our bodies. And it's like a, but if you really think about it, the fear of communication isn't really our fault and has very little to do with us. And I'll explain why. Let's, let's imagine a quick scenario here. I'll explain quickly. So let's say, okay, we want to learn a new skill. Okay, like basketball or cooking. So when we're learning that new skill, it's really fun. We're like, okay, like I'm not really good at this cooking thing. But then you start cooking those eggs, you mess them up a few times. And after six times, you're like, yeah, I got these okay. eggs. I could like make myself eggs. I could like sustain myself. This is crazy. Whereas in communication, what's, what I find fascinating when I thought about this is we all learned the skill in the exact same moment of our lives. And that moment is high school or in some cases, elementary school, depending on which country you live in. But the problem, Harlan, is all of the presentations you give in high school, because that's where you learn everything, then it transitions over into your adult life later on. There's three key problems with all of those presentations. Number one is 100% of those presentations, 100, are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Harlan, you want to get breakfast and present all day, man? You want right. to do that? Nobody <laughs> says that, right? You have to do it. It's not something you get to do. It's something you have to do. So that's number one. Number two, all of those presentations are also different. So it's never you have one presentation every year. No, whenever you're in a semester in school or even at work, you're always juggling multiple presentations at the same time. So if you're in school, it's English, French, science, Spanish, you know, uh, algebra, gym. You're like, why do I have a presentation for gym? And then it's like <laughs> confusing. And then when you get to work, it's, hey, by the way, Harlan, you have like these seven presentations that are due Thursday. And you're like, wait a second. Like, how, do I even have time to be in all seven meetings? Like, am I, am I presenting all seven? Like, so it's just very confusing. And you don't get to pick the topic. So it's never like, hey, Harlan, what are you passionate about? Do you like podcasting? Do you like courage? Do you want to give a presentation about something you like? Actually, no, that's not how it works. You're going to talk about Shakespeare. Right. And then if that's not even bad enough, problem number three, which is the most important one, is all of the presentations are tied to a punishment. Mm. Look at this. Super fun, Harlan. All the presentations are mandatory. All the presentations are different. And by the way, if you don't do a great job in school, we're going to take 30% of your grade. And by the way, if you don't do a great job at work, you know that promotion you wanted? Yeah, forget it. So, so the point that I want to drive with this analogy yep. is the fear of communication is normal. It's 100% normal because the education system has conditioned us to believe that communication is a chore. It's like doing the dishes. So the question that you asked, which is so good, is the how did I overcome my fear of communication? How did I overcome the get the courage to do it. two things one by realizing that the way that i learned communication in the first place was wrong i need to have fun with something if i want to get better and understanding that changes our perspective oh wait a second i just have to learn it differently 
Mm-hmm. And the second piece is realizing that there's always going to be a little fear, but as long as your message isn't more important, you'll always win the match. So what I mean by this? Communication is like a boxing ring. One side of the ring is the fear, and the other side of the ring is the message. And it's not possible to remove the fear. I'll give you an example. Let's say we're talking right now, we're at, a, we're at lunch, and somebody calls me and it's Elon Musk. And Elon goes, yeah, by the way, Brendan, I need you to come coach me tomorrow one-on-one. Can you help me out, please? I'd probably shit my pants. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I'm the expert, I guess, right. I'll probably be scared too. So there's no level, there's always a level we're all fearful of. But as long as the message wins, another way of looking at this is when your message and your fear meet in the middle of that boxing match, you got to make sure that the message wins the match, that your message gets the knockout punch. I had a thousand excuses not to start Master Talk. I was a kid in my mom's basement, was 22. I had every excuse in the book, just go, you know what? I'll just wait until I have like a mortgage or like I'm an executive. Right. And I like IBM or any other company. So why did I press record? I didn't press record for my executives. I pressed record for the seven-year-old girl who couldn't afford me. That's why I pushed Master Talk. Because who else does she have? If yeah. I'm not posting videos, I mean, I'm the only person she can relate to because the next person in line is double my age right. and like 10 times her age or like eight times her age. So she can only relate to me. So I had an option that day. I had a choice. Do I post the videos to inspire that person or does she have nobody to listen to? And that's really what pushed me to do it. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I read about where you're saying that the, the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old girl nobody's heard of before. So that's when you start thinking of things that way, it's like, wow, how can you make it easier for them to get out and do things? So, yeah, right. I like that. Um, we, we talk about different types of courage. Um, intellectual courage is a big one for me. Um, being able to set aside your long-held beliefs and the knowledge you currently have to make room for new knowledge. That, is, I think, is something that some people are afraid to let go of what they know, to step out and reach for something new or, or allow something new. But to me, I think that's something else that may hold them back from, from being effective communicators. I know this. I don't know that yet because I'm here and this is comfortable for me, right? Um, how do you help people keep that open mind to always learn and always do more? I guess with your uh, the word uh, program you just had, right? Um, how to how to communicate like that? What else can you do there? What else can people do to help them uh, get out of their own way and and learn? Absolutely, brother. I mean, listening to you is a big first step. I mean, you're clearly super open-minded. Even with your experience, you're still going, oh, what can I learn from Brendan? Sure. I? So I would say, how do you force someone to think like you? I've thought a lot about this. How do you get someone from A to B to develop that growth mindset? And I would say the most effective strategy is to ask really difficult questions, to push mm-hmm. someone to the edge. I'll give you some some really hard ones. I call them 80-20 questions. I don't really post these on my YouTube channel because it's not really 100% communication related. So, so I'll, give you, I'll give you three questions. Right. So the first one is, if you could only accomplish three things before you die, what would you want those three things to be? So when you think about those three things, you realize you haven't accomplished any of them. You go, okay, well, I need to change. I need to... I need to get, I need to get started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's probably the easiest way to push through it. I would say another question that people can ask themselves is if you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? 
So if you had a billion dollars in the bank, what would you do with your time? Like you're a great example of this. I mean, I mean, maybe you don't have a billion dollars in the bank. You got, I mean, <laughs> you got, I mean, like you're spending your time right. in the way that you want to because you're traveling, you're, you're, you're jet setting, you're, I mean, uh, tra- traveling, whatever. <laughs> you're, you're moving around the, the place. You're, you're getting a lot right. of cool experiences. So, so I want more people to live like that in the sense of making every minute as precious as gold, thinking about how to intentionally spend their time. And then I would say question number three, beyond the two that we just talked about, is the three truths. So the three truths mm-hmm. is a question I got from a Lewis House's pod. And it's basically a question around, if you could only leave behind three lessons from your life, what would you leave behind and why? And if you start thinking about those lessons for yourself, you might actually realize that you don't want to wait until the end to share them. You might want to share them right now in this moment as you answer the question. Nice. Very cool. I'm going to have to think about that for a while. <laughs> yeah, they're not meant to be answered spontaneously. No, but those are those are good. Those are the type of questions my wife and I ask each other as we're out walking, you know, in the mountains or the beach or whatever and stuff like that. She poses a question. It's like, wow, where'd that come from? But it does. Yeah, it makes you think. Um, leadership. What do you look for in a leader? What do I look for in a leader? Here, here's the way I think about it. I think leadership is three things. In the same way, I see greatness and leadership as the same thing. So the first step, in my opinion, to any great leader is to make a decision to find what you're amazing at. That's the first step of leadership, okay. is to make a decision to be great. And great can mean different things for different people. And some of us don't know what our gift is. But to make that search, to listen to podcasts, to read books, to say, you know what? I don't know what the gift is. I don't know what my talent is, but I'm going to take the personality test. I'm going to do the strength. I'm going to listen to Harlan show. I'm going to do all of the things that I need to do to figure that out. That's part number one. The second part to leadership is once you find the gift, whether the gift is being a stay-at-home mother, whether that gift is to be a big entrepreneur, whether that gift is to be a media mogul and you know, create your own podcast or something, is cultivate the gift as much as possible to amplify the lives of other people. And then there's the third part to leadership. And this one is the most important. And this is where I'm transitioning to right now, now that I found my gift, I'm cultivating my gift, mm-hmm. is create the space for other people to find theirs. Nice. Create the space for other people to find their gift to find their greatness. And Alex Jude says it best. He says, the greatest leaders unleash the best in others. They unleash the best in how other people are. They unleash the best in other people's skill set. But I would also argue that the best way to unleash the best in others, to build on Alex's point, is to first unleash the best in yourself. So spend that time unleashing your potential into the world. And that alone will serve as a model, as a motivation for you to inspire other people and to also help other people find their greatness. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, because I um, I read somewhere, I forget who said it. Our, our role as leaders is to create more leaders, not more followers, right? Because the world has plenty of followers. <laughs> we don't need any more of them. Yeah, nice. Very cool. Um, so what's next for you? I mean, you've accomplished so much in your your short life, right? <laughs> um, what's next? Absolutely. And, and that's something I want to keep 
working on. Like for me, it's always important to think big. And I would say what's next for me is really scale. So now that I've done well, even if you're very humble, I'm sure you've done a lot more than I have. I have a lot more to learn from you <laughs> is, is growing that impact. Nice. So now that I have the right foundation, now I'm in a place where, you know, I pitch myself every day. Wow, I get to do what I love every day and I get paid to do it. It's amazing. So now it's how do I scale that? How do I use the resources I'm getting now from clients, from stakeholders, from different areas of life so I can bring the YouTube channel, the media, the impact to another level? Nice. Um, TED Talk, is that on the horizon for you? Probably in 10 years. I, I've, I've 10 had a few... Years. Yeah, probably yeah. 10 years. I'll wait a while. I, I could I could do a TED Talk if I wanted to. I think it's more of I want it to be the way I want I want it to go. So I'll probably wait till I have a bigger platform and stuff. And I'll hold on the book too, probably in like five, seven years. Oh no, get the book out there. <laughs> what is the book? Master Talk? Yeah, it's probably going to be like a, similar to what Dale Carnegie did with how to win friends and influence people. Like what's my version of that for, for communication? I still have a lot more to learn. I'm I'm pretty good. But I want to I wanna keep going. There's a lot more I need to learn. There's a lot more experts. Like I invest a lot in other speech coaches because I'm always learning from other oh, sure. experts so I can make my masterpiece the best one so that people can. Very cool. Well, like you said, your, your zone of genius, you've, you've defined it. Now start growing in that, right? That's why I watch your videos. That's why I go out and listen to podcasts and everything like that to try to learn, get better. So absolutely. Very cool. Well, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and uh, everything. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What is your what is your website? Absolutely. So two easy wins. First of all, incredible interview. You're you're very talented at this. So thanks so much for a great conversation. Thanks. Sure. And and the two parts is number one, the YouTube channel. You can type Master Talk and one word and, and find the free videos. And if you're interested in coaching, you can go to my website, rockstarcommunicator.com, where okay. I host a free training over Zoom every few weeks, effective communication, I'm coaching people on the call so people can get access to that and join in on the trainings. Nice. And you are on LinkedIn? Right? Correct, yeah. That's Very hard cool. to spell, but yeah, if you go- That's fine, I will, I will put a link. <laughs> For all those of you who can't read, um, I'll put a link in the show notes. So you can just click the link and go out to the, the LinkedIn site, um, rockstarcommunicator.com. Good job. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking lots of notes. Good information here. Definitely go check out uh, the YouTube channel. Just type in master talk and look for these presentations that are out here and stuff. Good, actionable information you can put to use right now. And, uh, Share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.